Busy Birds. Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Ganal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Did you know that sea turtles have a 50% higher chance of mortality once they've ingested 14 pieces of plastic? Our guest today is a British marine biologist known for her work with the Hawksbill turtles and environmental outreach programs. She has worked all over the world educating isolated communities about biology, sustainability, and marine conservation. She was the Hyatt's Hotel's first resident marine biologist. In January 2019, she joined Emirates Nature WWF as a conservation education consultant, helping them to launch Connect with Nature, a program that gives the UAE's youth access to learning and leadership opportunities, one-of-a-kind experience and thrilling adventures. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Arabella Willing. Thanks for having me. It's a great honor. (laughs) Well, thank you. It's such a great honor to have you here. So Arabella, how did your sustainable journey actually start? So I've always been obsessed with nature. I think most children are. They're kind of curious in that way that I wish adults didn't lose sometimes. And my uncle is a botanist, so he was always plying us with books and videos and what have you all about nature and the environment and I was very lucky to have to have lived in many different countries as I grew up and one of them was Cyprus where I finished school at midday which was amazing and just kind of ran down to the sea every afternoon and went snorkeling every afternoon and I had this little octopus that lived in a rock kind of that I used to visit every day and that was just so amazing and that was my favorite thing to do and I yeah I've just loved nature from a very young age. I've always been interested in science and it came to choosing what I was going to do for a degree. And my parents were friends with these marine biologists based in Oman. And I was like, that just seems like a really cool job. And (laughs) so chose to study marine biology. And then it's just sort of built up from there, from a kind of curiosity to a full-on lifestyle. Well, I mean, like, just like seeing all your adventures and everything, it just like sounds like an amazing, amazing job. Like I, I'm even considering maybe switching, (laughs) looking at all your amazing stuff. Yeah, I'm very lucky. You have really done some amazing work here in the UAE and you've become known by many as the turtle lady. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit more about your turtles? So when I lived in Oman as a teenager, uh, there was a, an air, there is an area there called Ras al-Had, and it's one of the highest density turtle nesting areas in the world. And we just used to go and camp there and visit it and see, you know, hundreds and hundreds of turtles nesting and hatching. And of course, anyone that's seen that falls in love with the turtles. And then after that, I kind of, you know, became qualified as a marine biologist. And about five years ago, six years ago, had the opportunity to... Uh, work at Park Hyatt Abu Dhabi and they have turtle nesting on the beach there so my job I kind of created this role I suppose where I was 
trying to make sure that the turtles on that beach were as, as well protected as they could be given the amount of development that was going on. So monitoring and protecting them and trying to make sure that the hotel's footprint was as low as possible and involving the community in their protection. So I got a bit of a reputation, I guess, in Abu Dhabi as the turtle lady. <laughs> if anyone found a turtle or had a turtle question, I was the girl, which is cool. I love it. I'm very proud of my turtle lady nickname. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I think it's it's a fantastic one. And it's not everyone gets to be t- called the turtle lady for doing amazing work with turtles. So we have recently been seeing more plastic pollution in our oceans and on our beaches. And how is this actually affecting the marine life and like especially the turtles? Mm. So turtles often eat plastic by mistake. I was helping with some research where we looked at the stomach contents of Um, turtles that had washed ashore and almost always found some plastic in there one had 65 pieces of plastic so it's just terrifying and there's some recent research come out of Australia that shows that turtles that have eaten 14 pieces of plastic or more have a 50% chance of dying from it so it's not actually that many 14 small pieces is actually you know very common so yeah they they eat it which is not nice they also (laughs) get entangled in it so we find Mostly fishing line, so monofilament line. Found a lot of turtles sort of entangled in that. It even gets into the food chain from a microplastic scale. So when plastic breaks up, it gets eaten by tiny, tiny creatures, and then those creatures get eaten by other creatures. And and plastic is kind of porous for other chemicals. So you'll find in a piece of plastic the instance of or the the concentration of kind of pollutants is sometimes a million times higher than that of the water around it and that's because a lot of pollutants don't mix well with water actually but they get absorbed by the plastic so plastic is just both poisonous and cumbersome you know it gets stuck in their throats and and clogs up their digestive system so yeah it's it's a major problem wow that's insane and i also um i'm sure all of our crazy birds is Probably when they think about turtles, they can't think about anything else than seeing that poor turtle that had the straw up his nose and has actually become like this like symbol of why we should not use plastic straws. So when people see things like that, what do you kind of want them to actually then go and do? I just want people to think of, of plastic as this incredible substance, basically. You know, it's, it lasts forever. So it seems crazy that something that you're only going to use once, you're making out of material that lasts forever. Because if you're only using it once and throwing it away, it's away doesn't exist. You know, exactly. there's not there's no such thing as away. It goes into nature, into landfill, or by mistake into the sea or something like that. So just being more valuing plastic a bit more highly and as the long term material that it is, and just thinking of ways to either reuse plastic items or buy stronger things that you can use again and again and again or avoiding it and just being mindful of the life cycle of an object that you use you know if it, where it's come from where it's going to go not just that 10 minutes that you're sucking up your orange juice through it you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> and I mean also when we look at the plastic bags especially like the clearer ones or when you put it in water and you turn it upside down, like, you know, it looks very close to a jellyfish. Like, obviously, 
I can see the difference between the plastic bag and if there was a jellyfish, but obviously it's very hard for these animals to make that distinction. Do you guys often find that it is these plastic bags that's also in their um, bellies or pieces of it as they are breaking it down? Yeah, so we were mostly looking at green turtles because there's a big population of green turtles in the Gulf. And green turtles are vegetarians, they actually don't eat jellyfish. So we were finding bits of plastic that look like the seagrass that they eat. So seagrass looks like grass. <laughs> and um, most of the things we found were, you know, those kind of sacks, plastic sacks that would maybe carry rice or something, and it's woven filaments oh, of yes. plastic. So when that gets into, the, into nature, it kind of disintegrates into thin, flat pieces of plastic that look like grass. And that was a very, very common item that we'd find in the stomach. So yeah, kind of flat film type plastic was, was some of the more common items. And then, yeah, fishing line, found a huge piece of fishing line in one of them, Jeez. You know, over a meter long. Like even those bags that you were saying, they sometimes fill those bags with sand and actually yes, use yeah. them on the beach as well to kind of, you know act like there's a barrier or something yeah yeah. so um so I mean even with that if that thing gets broken or you know with time obviously it just goes into the ocean sure so definitely maybe we should look at other options out there (laughs) and I was actually fortunate enough to see a sea turtle lay its eggs in Mozambique a few years back and that entire experience has just like kind of stuck with me And it was just one of those most magical moments. So can you kind of take us through how the whole process works, you know, from like literally hatching of the little egg, where it then turns into this like turtle. And then (laughs) after, you know, some time, it actually goes back to the beach and lay its own little eggs. Yeah, sure. Turtles have in their brain something called magnetite, which is... They're similar to homing pigeons, and basically they can navigate the earth based on the amount of kind of magnetic material in the rock of the seabed. So they are incredibly, you know, they have GPS, about 100 million year old GPS, (laughs) and they kind of return to their home nesting beach. And the reason for that is that they have quite small brains so that they can hold their breath for longer because your brain will use a lot of oxygen. So they don't have the mental capacity to choose a beach that's suitable. They just kind of go to the beach that they know works because they're alive. So the beach they were born on is a successful, suitable nesting beach. So the adult female turtles will migrate back to their nesting uh, home beach, essentially. And they come up at night because it's scary in the daytime. It's hot (laughs) and things can find them. They're very vulnerable when they're on land. They move very slowly. So the mother turtles will check out the beach ahead of time and poke their head up out of the water and see if it looks safe. And then, yeah, under the cover of darkness, crawl up the beach. And they try to get above the high tide line because turtles are reptiles and they breathe air. So if a baby turtle developing in its egg gets washed over by the sea, they wouldn't be able to breathe. So the eggs have to be above the high tide line. So she crawls all the way up the high tide line, digs a big hole with her front flippers. And then with her back flippers kind of more delicately carves out this little bowl, which is called the egg chamber. And she plops her eggs into that hole. And turtle eggs are a lot more flexible than the eggs you have at breakfast. (laughs) Um, Because they're falling into a hole, obviously. So she puts roughly about 100 eggs in in that hole. And with it, she puts a lot of kind of juicy 
mucus stuff, <laughs> yum, <laughs> which um, prevents the eggs from getting moldy. So they, it has a sort of antifungal property. She'll then cover up the eggs and she returns to the sea and she will never meet her children. They're not good mothers, really. Well, that's actually quite sad. <laughs> it is a bit sad, yeah, yeah but um, that's life. So <laughs> she puts about, yeah, 100 eggs and goes back to the sea and she might lay more than one nest in a season. It depends how much energy they have. So she goes back to the sea and it takes about 55 to 65 days for those baby turtles to have developed and be ready to hatch. So they then, you know, 55 days later, whatever, break out of their shell. And one of my favorite facts about turtles is that the eggs that are at the bottom of the nest are generally a little bit colder and eggs at the top of the nest are a bit warmer and the way it works is that warmer eggs become female turtles and colder eggs become male turtles. So boys wow. are cool, but girls are hot. <laughs> <laughs> so the baby turtles uh, break out from their egg and they actually make a little noise. So they cheep like a bird and that synchronizes the hatching. So all, they need to work as a team to dig out because the egg chamber can be up to a meter below the surface and one baby turtle you know it doesn't even fit in the palm of your hand it couldn't possibly dig all of that on its own so they have to work as a team they they dig and dig and dig and when they reach hot sand they stop because they don't want to be coming out in the daytime and hot sand suggests that the sun is shining so they're very clever these turtles <laughs> wow and, um, and so they, they stop and then when the sand cools down they know then okay it's night time it's ready to go and then they kind of rush towards the sea and the way they find the sea generally is the reflection of the moon on the water so a kind of the lightest horizon and as they're crawling down the beach that's the time when they imprinting their location it's called so it's when they're learning where home is so if you ever see a baby turtle, you know, you feel like, oh, poor little thing, let me go and put it in the sea, but it does need to walk. That's amazing. So then what happened, like, you know, you said at the Hyatt, one of the things that you were doing is protecting the environment. But what happens if, like, you know, we've got a beach resort, or we've got mm. something that's being built where these little turtles were hatched? Yeah. So what happens then? Do they go to a place closest or... What, what happens to them? So the main threat is that the mother turtles won't come up onto the beach to lay the eggs because they feel that it's not safe enough. So lighting is particularly important and making sure that the lights are as low as possible or red. So turtles don't, can't really see red light because there's no red light underwater. Mm. See, it's blue. and so yeah making sure that the lighting is as low as possible and that the furniture on the beach is not obstructing them because that again looks scary or looks unsuitable for laying eggs so that's the main issue because if you don't have the mothers coming up laying the eggs you can't then protect that nest so once the nest is laid it's much easier to protect it it's kind of making sure that the beach seems safe enough or inviting for these mother turtles and yeah the worry is that they don't have the ability to find an alternative if the beach that they want to use is their home oh, beach wow. is not available. So, so then you, they'll just won't lay eggs? And yeah, they can either just release them at sea and then they would never hatch. And one of the things I used to do was relocate nests. So if there was a nest that was laid too close to the water, which I think probably happens when they're a bit nervous, mm. they just sort of nest as soon as possible then we would relocate those eggs to higher up the beach, which is quite a delicate process because the embryo will attach to the membrane inside the egg within 
nine hours. So you have to be really, really careful and A, do it as soon as possible and B, don't rotate them too much. Don't kind of shake them around. Otherwise it can just detach. Yeah, and obviously with the females and the males, you know, you kind yeah, of need exactly. to keep that together. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to have some interesting turtles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that that kind of point of development isn't right at the beginning, okay. so it's okay. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> and also with, like, children maybe, you know, digging holes and mm. they don't know if there was, you know, turtle eggs or anything. Sure. So that's also yeah. another thing that, that needs to be taken into consideration as well. Yes, so the, the nest would be fenced off mm. and okay. make sure that, the, you know, the tractor doesn't drive over it or yeah. dogs don't – well, dogs weren't allowed on the beach that I was working on, but, yeah. Oh, awesome. So the hawksbill turtle is actually critically endangered at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's one of the turtles that we find here in the UAE. So how can we actually help to increase these turtles? Yeah, it's actually really difficult because, as I said, if the mothers are not coming up to lay the eggs, you, you don't have much control. So the main thing is just trying to reduce the causes of death. So a lot of them are getting tangled in fishing nets. So I know the Environment Agency has has recently banned lots of types of fishing net. Being very careful if you do go fishing with a fishing rod and line, that no line is getting into the water that could get entangled in them. If a turtle washes ashore and needs rescuing, making sure you take it to the Turtle Rehabilitation Centre, and then kind of encouraging beachfront properties to follow the guidelines in terms of lighting and furniture on the beach so that the mothers actually do come up. But yeah, it's difficult. It's not something that you can just sort of click your fingers and do because they don't reproduce in captivity. So you have to protect the wild areas. I wish I had the answer to that question. Well, that's insane. (laughs) So if someone actually comes across a turtle on the beach or, you know, whether they are snorkeling or something, Mm -hmm. are there specific signs that we can kind of look out for to see you know, if this turtle is injured, whether just to kind of have a look Mm -hmm. and see. And then if we notice something, what do we do? Sure. So a turtle would never voluntarily come onto land unless it's nesting. So unless it's like the middle of the night and it's walking with a purpose up the beach, something's wrong with it. It's unwell. And then it needs to go and seek professional help because it's, it's beyond a point where, you know, it could just be put back in the water. Yeah. That's not the case. That's not <laughs> like the cause of the problem. So a lot of the time in, in the Gulf, what we find is small turtles, which have become too cold. So turtles are reptiles and they don't heat their own body up. And in the winter months, they get a bit chilly and then they get an infection. They're just like your mom told you don't go outside with wet hair in cold <laughs> days because you'll get a cold. So that actually happens. It's called cold stunning. And... When they're cold, they don't move a lot and they get a lot of growths on their shells. So when a turtle's healthy and happy, it's kind of scratching its back on rocks all the time Mm. to make it sure it's nice and clean. But if they're not doing that, they get just kind of overgrown with barnacles and oysters Mm. and things like that. And those actually kind of burrow into the shell a bit and can damage it. So if you see a turtle like that on the beach, it's really important that you don't... the, The barnacles and stuff that are growing on it is not the cause of the problem it's a symptom of something else. So it's not a case of just like ripping off those barnacles mm. and putting it back in the water. And as well, like a turtle shell is like giant fingernails on its back. So imagine you have something growing your fingernails on, pulls it, oh. it's painful. So it can really damage them. So don't try and remove the barnacles on your own. Put it in a bucket, preferably with fresh water. 
not too cold, not too hot. Mm. And then you can either, if it's on Sadiat Island, the security teams of the various beach properties know what they're doing because we get quite a lot. So you can just leave it with security yeah. or you can take it down to the Dubai Turtle Rehabilitation Center, which okay. um, is at the Burj Al Arab. So you can drive it down there and leave it with the, the team there. And you can find them on Facebook as well, the Dubai Turtle Rehab Center. Awesome. Um, phone numbers and stuff yeah oh cool and yeah for all the crazy birds that do not live in the uae they <laughs> probably just like google yeah google <laughs> is your try friend and yeah. find a the place close center. to them to even just a phone number because then they can actually call and ask you know for professional help but it's very important that what you said do not pull those barnacles off because yeah don't try and treat them yourself um, and put them back in the water yeah that's not a great plan and a lot of countries will have a stranding network it's called so there'll be kind of volunteers that are trained in specific regions to come and help you out awesome because i know especially with that turtle with the straw stuck in its mm. nose you know a lot of people that i know there was so much criticism you know saying like they should have taken it to a professional they should have done this they should have done that but as far as i know in the location that they were they were not anyone to be able to treat it yeah they were so in the, quite a remote part of costa rica or something exactly like and they were like professional scientists so exactly. i think at least they had a a vague <laughs> they they did a far better job than what i would have done so um and i mean they they were qualified as well to do that but um i mean when people see stuff like that sometimes they think oh this was just two people on a boat um mm. you know next time i see a turtle and i see something in its nose i'm just going to give it a pull you know even yeah, no, though do i've got <laughs> i've got my mobile phone and i can call arabella and say hey <laughs> found a turtle hopefully that never happens but yeah i think it's very important that we need to realize that you know you obviously help the turtle by putting it in the bucket of water and make sure it gets to the people that can help but don't try to like remove even do you think like fishing nets and things like that as well don't try and um, remove it yourself just use your best judgment okay. and i think even if they are if they have any form of injury that can result in an infection. So yeah. if there's a fishing line that's kind of dug into their body a bit and there's a bit of a cut that can then cause them to to die of an infection. So regardless, you should get professional help and, and don't try and feed them or anything like that. Awesome. So other than searching for turtles, you can um, also often on the beach look for what looks like black doll <laughs> like i would call it can you tell us a little bit more about the nurdles i know yeah. you've been very active with nurdle hunts like yeah i've become obsessed with nurdles <laughs> <laughs> i was like what's a nurdle so in the process of making plastic the plastic is transported from the kind of refinery to the factories that make all the items out of plastic in a form of pellet so it's a little plastic pellet And often those pellets get lost in transportation. So they might fall. There was maybe a spill where a whole container full fell off a boat. Or maybe when they're falling off the side of a truck and then it, in the rain gets washed into the sea. Or maybe in the port when they're going between the boat and the land. Mm. Some of these little pellets land in the sea. It's a pre-production material. You know, it's, it's industrial. It's not a bottle that's broken down. It's the kind of pre bottle wow, okay. <laughs> so a bottle is made of 600 ish nurdles and they get nicknamed nurdles when they've landed in the ocean and they then wash up on beaches around the world and 
if you think how much stuff is made of plastic, just, you know, looking around me, I can see maybe 15 different things made of plastic. Not that, you know, just in our lives, a lot of stuff is made of plastic. And then how much plastic has been produced in the world mm. over the last 50 years. And then therefore how many nurdles there were to make all of those things made wow. of plastic. So there's a lot of nurdles. Like the number is just mind boggling. I can't even begin to comprehend how many zeros there would be on that. <laughs> Yeah, and some of them have escaped and, and become and landed in the environment. And they're so small, it's like the size of a lentil, and they're kind of perfectly round and flat, like a kind of donut without a hole. Yeah, they're just all over the world. And there's a, a Scottish uh, marine charity called Fidra, which began investigating nurdles washing ashore in, on beaches in the UK. And they had this thing called the Great Nurdle Hunt, where they encouraged ordinary people just to go out and report how many nurdles they found on their nearest beach. And I heard about this and was like, oh, I want to do it to you. But I live in the UAE. So anyway, I found lots of nurdles. And before you know what it is, you just think it's a rock. And then mm. once you learn, once you get your eye in, you can never, ever stop seeing nurdles like around the world. Like I would never go to a beach now and not A, look for nurdles and B, notice them. You can never unsee a nurdle. And the thing about nurdles that's so tragic in a way is that they never became that thing that was even slightly useful. You know, they never became the plastic straw that wow. you used for 10 minutes. Yeah. It was the demand for plastic is producing pollution. Like whether you recycle or not, like the fact that you're buying something made of plastic means that at some point there's a level of pollution into exactly. the environment. Yeah. Wow. And so people often go to the beach, pick up trash, whether it's Straws, plastic bottles, noodles, you know, a lot of people sometimes even pick up little pieces of the marine life, you know, mm. like seashells and things like that. So is it okay, kind of, I won't say like it's okay because, you know, it's such a fine line mm. to like cross, you know, but a lot of people take these home with them, whether it is one shell or, you know, there was a case in the US where a woman picked up so many shells and she actually went to prison, you know, spent oh. some time in prison, <laughs> had a fine, everything. So what is kind of the implications that it cause when you pick up these shells and, you know, like everyone go to the beach and everyone pick up one shell? Like mm -hmm. what kind of implications is that? Yeah, so shells can be habitat. So, for example, hermit crab will live in an old empty shell. Of, of a different species. So you could be taking away their home, essentially. Also, I used to live in the Maldives and the sand is made from broken pieces of shell and broken pieces of coral. And you kind of do need that supply of mm. shell to keep the beach kind of growing or re-building. Kind of the main issue with shells comes when people are hunting for a specific type or trading in mm. the shells and that if there's a, a value to the shell people will then go and find the live animal and then take them out so yeah. there's a massive snail called the triton trumpet and it's the shell is very highly prized in a lot of cultures so that species is now really struggling because so many people have just taken it from the sea when it's still alive as a result they are not doing the functions that they would normally do in the ecosystem. So it's very important never to buy shells because mm -hmm. that's supplying a trade that probably is taking live animals. And I mean, 
think use your your judgment really. If there's like thousands and thousands of clamshells on a beach, you know, taking one is not going to cause an yeah. issue. But, you know, kilograms of shells and hunting, you know, for a specific type exactly. can be um, problematic. Awesome. And Arabella, what has been one of your most important <laughs> decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? I think probably just choosing to study it and choosing it as a career because you don't you don't always know what's the right thing to do and everyone's always learning all the time and you need to be so knowledgeable to understand the breadth and depth of I mean I don't, I can't profess to know the breadth and depth of <laughs> of nature but the more you know the more you care and I think following my curiosity in terms of nature has made me more aware of very very important issues that maybe you know I wouldn't have been aware of otherwise and you can't blame people that don't know about things so I think choosing to learn more I'm really grateful that I know as much as I do even though it's a small amount (laughs) in the grand scheme of things um, because I feel like I'm kind of enlightened in that respect I'm not damaging things unknowingly awesome cool we are going to move into our final five wait so the first question is what is one social media account that you follow so that's just a hashtag on instagram called conservation optimism i think there is an account of it as well but it's like positive stories around what people are doing that's working or going well and i think it's really important not to overwhelm people with doom and gloom when it comes Mm -hmm. to environmental issues and focus on positives and actions people can take and, and the hope that there is out there, because there is still a lot of hope. So not making people feel helpless and overwhelmed is important and, and to remain optimistic and hopeful. So conservation optimism. Awesome. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? My hope is that us humans just become more connected, I suppose, to nature and more mindful of our impact and a bit less greedy I suppose in the way that we society values you know we don't want to be materialistic you know be be kind and be put more of a greater value on kindness and frugality rather than excess and you know a nice car or whatever (laughs) (laughs) and what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out mama earth there's eating less meat and dairy it has a big impact on your carbon footprint and it's a very easy thing, realistically, to do. It doesn't cost you, it probably costs you less. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the lots, expensive part. No yeah, way. there's lots of delicious options. That it's not going to impact your life that greatly, even if you just take out one, start with one less meaty meal per week and build up on that one day a week that you don't eat meat and dairy and what have you. So, yeah, I think that's one of the easiest ways you can reduce your impact. Awesome. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey. I often say to kids and stuff that their iPhone didn't fall from space. (laughs) (laughs) It's made of stuff on earth. It's made from things that came from nature. So we are incredibly reliant on natural resources and nature. And it's so easy to forget that. And yeah, our technology, our laptops, our iPhones, whatever, these things that you in no way think came from the earth, came from the earth. And don't forget that. And where can people actually find you? 
I have a unique name, which is exciting. Thanks, mum and dad. Uh, Arabella Willing on Instagram. And as well, the work that I'm doing at the moment is with Emirates Nature WWF. And our project is called Connect With Nature. And Connect With Nature UAE is our Instagram account. And connectwithnature.ae is our website. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at mamaearthtalk.com. Follow at Design by Mariska on Instagram or email hello at mamaearthtalk.com and let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to talk about. I love hearing from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every Monday with a bonus top tip Thursday every Thursday. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds. Oh,